Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. The show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. We are about to embark on a very different kind of story. We've read through mythologies, the origins of everything, and the Valar, and elves and men, and dwarves. And more recently, we've talked about the story of Baron and Luthien, which comes across very much like a fairy tale. But now we're about to embark on the story of Turin Turumbar. And the story of Turin is very different. This is a different kind of work. If Baron and Luthien is the best version you've ever heard of Rapunzel, <laughs> because it pulls elements from Rapunzel, but other fairy tales as well, Turin Turumbar is more like... Shakespeare. Baron and Luthien, you might consider, in the traditional sense, a comedy. Not because it's necessarily funny, but because the main characters survive. And sure, yes, they die, but of course they, they come back. And so they survive. They move off stage into the rest of their lives, and we assume everything's fine. Turin's story is different, and I need to prepare you for that. So here we are today, on the edge of a forest in Dor Loman, part of Hithlum, near Turin's family home. Now, if you recall, there are some bad things happening. That's part of why we did the last episode. This part of the world, this northern, western region has been resettled by the very men that sided with Morgoth. And they are watching over the people here. The good people. The people who sided with the elves. And the story starts out dark. And uh, this is part of why I'm doing the intro the way I am. It starts off dark. There's sad things that happen. And it just gets worse. <laughs> this is this is a tragedy. This is one of the most tragic lives, and yet important lives, of any of the characters that we will read about at all. So let's let me start out with this. Because I think you need to have a sense of who Turin is. He's an unconventional character in an unconventional story in a way that Tolkien 
typically doesn't write, and yet it's still one of the older works that he started very early on, around the time when he was working on Baron and Luthien originally. In the longer work, The Children of Hurin, which we will probably read in the future at some point, we're going to work through a lot of these extra books and things eventually, uh, but The Children of Hurin was a complete telling of this story of Turin and the the children of Hurin. Uh, I won't I won't I won't bury the lead here, but you get where this is going. Um, this was a work that was released about 15 years ago now, I think. This is another one of those extra books that was put out by Christopher Tolkien after he had the time to edit everything back together. And so in the Silmarillion, we get a shortened version of the story. And that's the version that we're going to read through today as we work our way through the Silmarillion. But know that there's more. And there's a passage in The Children of Hurin that gives us a glimpse of the character of Turin and what he's like. And he's very different. He's a very different kind of hero. He's almost an anti-hero in a way. Or a tragic character who's thrown into the events of the world and just does the best that he can. And he feels very real for it. This is the quote. He was dark-haired as his mother and promised to be like her in mood also, for he was not merry and spoke little, though he learned to speak early and ever seemed older than his years. Turin was slow to forget injustice or mockery. But the fire of his father was also in him, and he could be sudden and fierce. Yet he was quick to pity, and the hurts or sadness of living things might move him to tears. He's a complex character with a difficult backstory. Hurin is his father. At the end of the Battle of Unnumbered Tears, Hurin is carted away to Angband and placed on a seat at the top with the vision of Morgoth to see all the terrible things that Morgoth is about to do. Yeah, this is his son. This is his story. So normally I do a little bit more of this kind of thing, the thing I'm about to do right here in the little intro section of the show, but there's still some more stuff that we've got to talk about before we get into the details of the story here. There is a very interesting uh, family tree that's happening here at the beginning of the story. You have Hurin and Morwen together. Hurin, Hurin, who we've talked about before, and Morwin, his wife, and their lineages are very interesting. Hurin comes from both the houses of Hador and Halith. These are the mannish houses, which we've talked about before. But what about the first house? That's the second and third house. What about the first house? The house of Beor. The house of Beor, we get characters like Berahir, who was the father of Baron. And we also have Bregolas, who was the father of Belagund and Beragund. Beragund is Morwin's father. So Turin 
is a child of all three houses of men. So keep that in mind as we move forward. Also, Morwen, his mother, is a distant cousin of Baron. So it's it's complex, but consider it a distant. It's one of those like, is it a second cousin, third, three times removed? Or it's it's weird, but a distant cousin of Baron. They are related. They are of the same house, and because of, they are of these two houses combined, then they are in a sense kind of part of this royal family. And it's not royal in the sense of, say, the kings of the elves or something like that, but they have lived a a lifestyle that is higher than the average man or woman walking around here in Dorloman. They have a nicer home. They might actually have some things of value in the home. And this comes into play as we get into the story. So here, let's get into the story. At the very beginning we are told about not Hurin in Morwen, but instead we're told about Rain or Ryan, uh, R-I-A-N, pronunciation is not my strength, uh, daughter of Belagund, who I just mentioned, and wife of Hur, son of Galdor. And she was wedded to him two months before he went with Hurin, his brother. Hurin and Hur are siblings, and they go off to battle. This is two months before the Narniath Arnoidiad. They head off. And this is when tragedy strikes. She doesn't hear back from her newly wedded husband. And she was already with child. Tour is the name of the boy. And basically she hands this child off to the gray elves in Mithrim. And then she departs. And we're told that she laid herself down and dies. Because she's so sad for the events that happened. Mother of the Year Award. But (laughs) uh, remember, guys, I told you this is going to be dark. This is where it starts. All right. Then we move into Morwen. Morwen, the daughter of Berigund. The relation there, Belagund, Berigund, Rain, Rhine. I think it's Rhine and Morwen are cousins. I believe that's the right association. And she is the wife of Hurin. Hurin and Hur were brothers. You can see how there's these kind of family connections going on here, right? And Hurin was the lord of Dor Loman. So everything's going great until the Battle of Unnumbered Tears, and then tragedy strikes. And both of these women need to figure out what to do, because they no longer have the men of the family there with them. There's a complete change in the social structure Because, like I mentioned before, the Easterlings have been moved into this area by Morgoth, and there's a threat there. Now, there's some other details about this family as well. They have a daughter. Their daughter's name is Lalaith. And I looked this up. I believe that's the pronunciation. L-A-L-A-I-T-H. Lalaith. Lalaith, I think is it. Which means laughter. She is the eldest child in this family, daughter of Morwen, and Turin loves her. She's his older sister. And then we're told, again, more tragedy, that when she was three years old, before the Battle of Unnumbered Tears, there came a pestilence to Hithlum, born on an evil wind out of Angband, and she died. This is the first time in the Silmarillion that we're told that Morgoth was not just fighting them with armies and with 
misinformation and spies, he was using biological warfare as well, sending out disease. And she died from this disease. And younger brother Turin lives through this at a very young age. And keep track of this stuff because these are the things that shape his character throughout the story. Now we move to the time after the Battle of Unnumbered Tears, and Turin is eight years old. Morwen is still living in Dorloman, and she's again with child when her husband disappears. This is the moment when the Easterlings move in, and they start messing with everybody except for Morwen. We are told that so great was the beauty and majesty of the Lady of Dor Loman that the Easterlings were afraid and dared not to lay hands upon her or her household. And they whispered amongst themselves, saying that she was perilous and a witch skilled in magic and in league with the elves. Yet she was now poor and without aid. But she did have one source of help, and that was... A kinswoman, we're told kinswoman, we don't know the exact relation here, of Hurin, named Erin, A-E-R-I-N, who Broda, and this is a name that's going to come up later, Broda is, um, it ends with an A, which typically in English names means feminine, but it's not. This is a, a male Easterling who has taken his, her as, as his wife, and it doesn't sound in the way it's written here like it was a mutual agreement this is one of the things the easterlings were given was the ability to take whoever they wanted as their wives and and all of again the darkness that that entails and because of all of this the easterlings there especially and the amount of power that they had over the people of this region she was concerned that turin would be taken from her he's eight years old and enslaved He's only going to get bigger and stronger. He would work really well in the mines. So she decides, all right, I, I need to take care of Turin. I'm going to stay here. This is my homeland. I need to fight for this place. But Turin is too young. This isn't his fight yet. And she knows the story of Baron and Luthien. This story has gotten passed around. People have talked about this. And so she decides to take a chance. What if King Thingol, who she knows is hidden away in Doriath somewhere, were to take her son, a relative of Baron, and keep him safe? Maybe help him grow into a man, somebody that she would be proud of, somebody that she would have a difficult time even taking care of in the situation she's in right here. So she sends Turin off at eight years old with two older people, friends, people of this village, in order to try to find their way into Doriath. And we know that this is very dangerous. Most people get confused and lost. The Girdle of Melian is no joke. People die. But she was willing to take that risk. And we're told here in the text, Therefore, in the autumn of the year of lamentation, Morwen sent Turin forth over the mountains with two aged servants, bidding them find entry, if they could, 
into the kingdom of Doriath. The year of lamentation refers again to the battle of unnumbered tears in that same year. It goes on and says, thus was the fate of Turin woven, which is foretold in that lay that is called Narn Ihin Hurin, the tale of the children of Hurin, and is the longest of all the lays that speak of those days. I am so excited about our sponsor this week, Marvel Strike Force. I freaking love Marvel Comics. Growing up, I collected comics and the trading cards, and I've seen pretty much every Marvel movie they've made so far. So if you're into Marvel like I am, go check out Marvel Strike Force. This is a mobile squad RPG. You can collect and unlock all the different heroes. You fight against supervillains. There's a campaign. There's a blitz mode. There's an arena. There's a constantly evolving meta. And right now they're celebrating the Deadpool anniversary event. This is a mission from Strike where you log in the first time and you unlock this generous gift containing character shards, a anniversary diamond orb gear a bunch of other items it is absolutely the right time to jump in and try this game out click the link in the show notes to download it now and then use the promo code maxpool m-a-x-p-o-o-l maxpool don't miss out on all the free stuff and thanks again to marvel strike force for sponsoring this episode everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, here we are in the middle of the show. Let's take a quick break and thank our patrons for the support that you guys give this show in order for me to keep doing it. I really do appreciate it. And so we have to shout out our newest patrons, Sunny Chaos Runner, Eric B, Gertrude S, Hobbits and Dragons, and Kenny C. Welcome to the Patreon. I didn't realize Hobbits and Dragons were now supporting the show. Thank you very much, everybody. I really do appreciate it. And uh, that brings us up to 146 patrons. That's, man, those numbers just blow my mind every time I read them. And we have to shout out our Tier 3 VIP patrons. Um, here we go. Anita B, Bo, Brandy D, Chris P, Esoteric Rage, Jesse P, Larry, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Sam B, Shannon L, and Sheev Palpatine. Thank you to all of you guys. The names are so funny to me. Uh, thank you for, again for all of your support. If you're interested in checking out what you can get on the Patreon, including ad-free episodes, an entire list of bonus episodes. There's like one bonus episode for every regular episode. So it's like having an entire second podcast to listen to. Go to patreon.com slash L-O-T-R Lorecast. So L-O-T-R Lord of the Rings Lorecast. And check out everything over there. We have some new reviews that came in as well. Let's get through these. We've got four of them. This shouldn't take too long. This first one is from Cape Meister in the United States who writes, The Perfect Podcast. Wow. Five stars. I've discovered this podcast a week or so ago, and it is on throughout my entire day. Ever since reading The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit back in grade school, I have been hooked. I reread the books annually. However, I have never read The Silmarillion. 
This podcast makes me want to go pick up a copy and read it immediately. Yeah, go do it. Go do it. Robot's podcast is quickly becoming my favorite podcast due to his storytelling, the inflections in his voice, and his ability to truly immerse you in the events that he is providing information on. Anyone who enjoys Tolkien's works will not regret giving this podcast a listen. Excited to give his other podcasts about the Elder Scrolls and Fallout a listen as well. I hope you enjoy those as well. They are, uh, Fallout's a little bit more similar to this, and Elder Scrolls, I have a co-host, and um, it's a little bit more conversational, but still dense with information. So hope you enjoy that. Thank you, Cape Meister. Silverhawk91 from the US writes, a shining Laurelin in a world full of great darkness. I like that. I have been doing some house projects the last few days and have binged all 39 episodes in that time. Simply amazing. As a longtime LOTR fan, Robots breaks down complex topics and relationships in a simple to follow format. Very excited to continue this journey with the weekly episodes. Thank you for your time and passion putting this work together. My question for Robots, since he reads these aloud, will we discuss any lore surrounding the Ents on this podcast? Yes, we'll, we'll get there for sure. I mean, Ents are freaking cool, right? Um, so yeah, thank you, Silverhawk. And then we have uh, one from, uh, let's, uh, this fourth, this third one isn't really a real one. I'm not sure. It's from JerDRG. It says good, and then it has a hashtag with some letters after it. I looked that up. This might just be spam, but thanks for five stars, spammer. Um, If it's not spam, correct me. I apologize if I'm calling you out for the wrong thing, but I think it might be. Uh, Then we have one more from good old MC in the U.S. who writes, excellent show. This is a very thoughtful, thorough examination of the mythic beginnings of Tolkien's world. Simple and sweet. Thank you so much to all of you guys. And uh, one last note. I I put out a thing last week uh, talking with the patrons about, hey, would you guys be interested in making some me making some T-shirts and you guys can check out those and support the show, buy a T-shirt, have something for the holidays. And I got a response. People were like, yeah, let's do it. And they gave me some ideas. Uh, Words is hard. Who on the goodest boy? Um, So there are now shirts up on robotsradio.net. There's a little sharp, sharp shop. That's word. Words are hard. Oh, my God. Um, there's a little shop section on there. Just click it. It's top, on the top bar and you'll see the shirts. And we have 20 percent off everything right now. I'm basically selling them at cost because the markup isn't that high. So go check that out. This is about as cheap as I can make them for you. And it's a new provider that's even cheaper than the old one that I was using for the other shirts. Anyway, if you want a shirt, robotsradio.net. All right, let's continue on with Turin's story. So before we get into the details of what happens with Turin, we are told in the story that Morwen gives birth to a third child, a younger daughter of Turin, who she names Nienor, which I think is the pronunciation on that one, which means mourning. So the first daughter who didn't survive past three years old, laughter, this daughter, mourning, and Turin means something very different. It's a Sindarin, and it means he who desired mastery. And it won't be the only name that Turin uses, because names are important. And we go through this a lot in Tolkien's writings. Oftentimes, characters take on different names themselves. They choose them. A lot of times, they are placed on them. 
by someone or groups of people. Turin takes on a different name a few times in this story. But before we get there, we need to find out what happens. We are told that Turin and his companions, passing through great perils, came at last to the borders of Doriath. They had traveled fairly far to get there. There's a good distance between Dor Loman and the borders of Doriath. This is a similar kind of path that Baron would have had to take. And you would expect that the borders of Doriath, especially after the Battle of Unnumbered Tears, would be guarded heavily. And it was. But we don't just get any guard who discovers them. The one who notices them coming into the borders of Doriath is Belig Strongbow, who we've talked about before. He was part of that group that went with Baron to go hunt down Karkaroth. He comes up a number of times in these stories. He also, um, this is another thing to note, in the Rings of Power show, there's a scene where Galadriel is talking with Elrond, and it's darkly lit at night. I think it's in like the first or second episode. And they are there with the carved out tombs or monuments to famous elves who have lived in the past. If you look carefully, Belig is among them. Also, Luthien and Huan. Pretty cool. So, Belig finds them coming in and leads them directly to Thingol. Because we're told here that Thingol's mood had changed. Remember in Baron and Luthien, Thingol worked like a... I'm sure there's a literary name for what Thingol's role in the in the story was this uh this barricade to progress and the uh instigation of something that the group needed to do in order to further the story uh, there's there's a role that happens in literature where a character or a, or a thing does that thingol was that in baron and luthien they go to him they want to get married He's like, no, 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 not going to allow it. You got to go get a Silmaril. This seems like an impossible task. He seems stubborn and unwilling to deal with anybody outside of the elves that he knows. In this story, things have changed. Baron has softened the king's opinion of the elf friends. And specifically, these tribes of men who have been true to their word. Baron returns with a Silmaril in his hand, even though it's in the belly of Karkaroth. And the men of the houses that Turin comes from fought against Morgoth in the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. They have bought with their blood Thingol's respect. And in this situation, Thingol is looking at an eight-year-old boy Thingle, who is millennia old, looking at a very, very young human from a royal lineage of the men in desperate need. And he takes him in as if he was his own and fosters him like a son. We're told here that Thingle received Hurin and took him even to his own fostering in honor of Hurin the steadfast, because he heard about what Hurin did in the battle. For Thingol's mood was changed towards the houses of the elf friends. Thereafter, messengers went north to Hithlum, bidding Morwen leave Dor Loman and return with them to Doriath. 
he sends out an invitation to Turin's mom. And he's like, it's not safe out there. It's safe in here. We will raise your son. But wouldn't you like to be with him as well? And then it goes on. But still she would not leave the house in which she had dwelt with Hurin. And when the elves departed, she sent with them the dragon helm of Dorloman, greatest of the heirlooms of the house of Hador. Remember I mentioned that they are a royal line, and they have some items and things that show that. Turin is given here a gift, which is sent with the elves, which is probably safer than handing it to an eight-year-old and two old people to make their way into Doriath. But now that she knows he's safe, here's your dragon helm. This was your father's. And in that we get symbolism. This idea that Turin comes from a line of men who are warriors. A helm is not something you give to somebody who's going to grow up and be a scholar. And you can imagine this from Turin's perspective. His father, at eight years old, disappears, goes off to battle, and disappears. And the one thing you have to remember him by is a helm. And it's a really cool one as well. It looks like a dragon. This is your lineage. This is who you come from. And he knows his father was a great hero. Think of the effect that has on a child. The story goes on and gives us kind of a a glimpse. We get kind of a, I don't know, if this was a movie, it would be a montage. Um, But we're told, here, I'll, I'll read it. It says, Turin grew fair and strong in Doriath, but he was marked with sorrow. Yeah, for good reason. For nine years, he dwelt in Thingol's halls. So by the age of about 17 here. And during that time, his grief grew less. For messengers went at times to Hithlam, and returning, they brought better tidings of Morwen and Neonor. Now, remember, he's never met this younger sister, but we find out that they seem to be doing okay. They're doing all right for themselves. But there came a day when the messengers did not return out of the north, and Thingol would send no more. Something dangerous had happened. Things had changed, and Turin did not know what. And this is where we get our first real glimpse into the character of Turin. It says, Then Turin was filled with fear for his mother and his sister, and in grimness of heart he went before the king and asked for mail and sword. And he put on the dragon helm of Dorloman and went out to battle on the marches of Doriath and became the champion in arms of Belig. Kothalian, Belig Strongbow. He goes to the king and says, It is time. I need to do something about this. And he realizes he can't just march over to Hithlam by himself and do something. But he can put some time on the borders of Doriath, protecting these people who have taken care of him and growing in his strength and his abilities. And they pair him up with Belig, who you can imagine is probably like an older brother at this point to him. Belig is already a great warrior, and he's known for his bow mastery. 
And young Turin, at 17 years old, puts on his armor, his sword, and his dragon helm and marches out. And he spends three years. This is the montage section. He spends three years on the borders of Doriath, fighting the orcs, clearing the enemies of the elves and men from that land, living in the wild. And it changes him. He becomes very good at it, but it has an effect on his personality or maybe brings out things in his personality that were already there or maybe both. If you've known anybody who's spent any amount of time serving in the military out in places that are dangerous, it has an effect. And we've talked about this before. Tolkien served in World War I. He knew what that was like. And so creating a character like Turin here, who spends three years on the front lines of this conflict, this is a character that models real people and maybe people that Tolkien knew and maybe parts of himself as well. When he returns, we're given one little story, and I'm going to end on this. And I'll just read... Tolkien's words on this, because of course they're just so good. And when three years had passed, Turin returned again to Menegroth, the caves, the, the capital cave region of Doriath, just to remind you guys. But he came from the wild and was unkempt, and his gear and garments were way worn. Now one there was in Doriath, of the people of the Nandor, high in the councils of the king. Saros was his name. He had long begrudged to Turin the honor he received as Thingol's foster son, and seated opposite to him at the board, he taunted him, saying, If the men of Hithlam are so wild and fell, of what sort are the women of your land? Do they run like deer clad only in their hair? Then Turin, in great anger, took up a drinking vessel and cast it at Saros, and he was grievously hurt. On the next day, Saros waylaid Turin as he set out from Menegroth to return to the marches. But Turin overcame him and set him to run naked as a hunted beast through the woods. Then Saros, fleeing in terror before him, fell into the chasm of a stream, and his body was broken on a great rock in the water. Turin did not intend for that to happen. He wanted to shame him and put him in his place. But this event will bring about a major change in the direction of Turin's life. And we'll talk about that next time. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes or just search Robots Radio Discord or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.